Sun Life Community Church came into being as the result of a compelling vision for a different kind of church, interested in what we call the Sun Life, experiencing and sharing the life of God's Son. Perhaps your heart is burdened these days. We invite you to allow the Word of God through the words of this message to bring rest to your soul and joy to your heart. And now, our Heavenly Father, you are the head of this family. Jesus Christ is the head of the church. And someday the whole entire church is going to be gathered together and granted to him. And then he, in turn, is going to give all that is his to you. And Father, you will be recognized, of course, as the father of the family of God. All of us together. Father, we anticipate that day and we, we ask that you might let us sense some of the specialness of it as we gather as a part of the family around the Word of God right now. Father, let us hear you read these words to us. Let us sense your voice explaining by your own Holy Spirit exactly how you would want us to understand them and apply them. And we ask you this now in Jesus' name, for his sake and for the sake of his church. Amen. Well, today, as we approach the end of the book of James, that we've been in for quite a while now, even though it's a short little book, we've been in it for quite a while. But as we come to the end of it, we come to a verse. An individual verse in the book of James that we could have easily jumped right over. It's a familiar verse. And it seems relatively straightforward. It can even seem like it's a little bit unnecessary. Nothing particularly profound or life-altering about it. No tricky theology contained within it. And yet James writes it And he attaches some real significance to it. The fact that he saves this verse almost to the end of his book should cause us to give some special attention to it. So here it is. Today's key scripture, it's James chapter 5, verse 12. And it reads this way. Above all, my brothers and sisters, do not swear, not by heaven, or by earth, or by anything else. All you need to say is a simple yes or no. Otherwise, you will be condemned. Now, if that verse seems to have a somewhat familiar ring to it, it's because James wasn't the first one to express it. Jesus himself was the first And Jesus said virtually the identical thing in his great Sermon on the Mount. That sermon that takes up chapter 5, 6, and 7 of Matthew's Gospel. Here's how Jesus put it. We have the scripture there in front of you. This would have been some 20 or 25 years earlier. Jesus on that day, as he taught the people, he said, we call it today's parallel scripture, Matthew chapter 5, verses 33 to 37, Jesus says this, You have heard that it was said to the people long ago, Do not break your oath, but fulfill to the Lord 
the vows you have made. But I tell you, do not swear an oath at all, either by heaven, for it's God's throne, or by the earth, for it's his footstool, or by Jerusalem, for it is the city of the great king. All you need to say is simply yes or no. Anything beyond this comes from the evil one. Now, James, as he wrote to us, he would certainly seem to be to give this teaching a very special priority. He began this verse by saying, above all, above all, as though this was a first order teaching, something to which we should pay special attention. He might have said, hey, listen to this. Above all, my brothers and sisters, in addition to everything else I've said, when you put it all together, above all of that, put this. Jesus, when he had originally given this teaching, he pointed out that this teaching of his was to be viewed as a correction, a correction of a long-standing practice of the Jewish people. So obviously, this matter of swearing an oath, or what we are calling today oath-taking, is a big deal to our God. Jesus says that it's actually demonic in nature, while James says it results in what he calls condemnation. So it is a big deal. So let's begin. Let's start with a key definition. What exactly is oath-taking? Well, here's how we define it. So listen on and see if we stay consistent with this. Oath-taking, it's the practice. Now, you could stop right now before I read any further on and say, I'm sure I never do this. I'm sure I just never do this. But it will be interesting because Pastor Mark's going to take a few minutes on it anyway, and and I'll listen in. But oath-taking, it's the practice of using God-given and God-honoring things, including God himself, to to increase the believability of what we say. The practice of using God-given and God-honoring things, including the person of God himself, to increase the believability of what we say. And of course, we all want to be believed when we say something. So this is something that makes us more believable. Now, the question that would certainly pop up in our minds is this. Why am I not believable already? Why do I need to increase the level of my believability? What have I done? Or how have I been conducting myself that makes what I say questionable to anybody? Well, rather than discussing those issues this morning, and rather than us ever delving into those issues we find it easier to seek to somehow prop up our suspect integrity. And who better to vouch for us than God himself? If you don't believe me, believe God. 
That ought to settle it. Nobody should doubt what we say if we're linking ourselves to the Almighty. However, the use of that strategy to make ourselves believable, which is basically say, I'm telling you this and God agrees with me. So how are you going to disagree with me? How are you not going to believe? I'm telling you this and God himself agrees with me. That strategy to make ourselves believable and what we say credible in the eyes of others leads to a problem. And it's the problem identified in today's key concept. We'll just move right on through here. It says this, oaths, oaths, seek to use God as a tool for our own ends. The taking and the making of oaths seek to use God as a tool for our own ends. Jesus says they arise from the evil one, these oaths. James says they put one on the path to condemnation. Now, he's not talking about hellfire here, but he's talking about judgment, discipline, correction. They put you in trouble with God, is what he's saying, as a believer when we do this. And Jesus says they put us in cahoots with the devil. So obviously it's a a pretty serious thing to use oaths to seek to use God as a tool for our own ends. Now, it's interesting, the Greek word that James uses that the King James Version and the New International Version translate condemnation. See, James says, if you do this, whoever does this will be condemned. The word that's translated condemn or condemnation is the Greek word that's most commonly translated hypocrite or hypocrisy. So you really could translate that last portion of James' passage, verse 12, this way. Otherwise, he says, don't do this. Otherwise, you will be condemned as a hypocrite. That's really what he's getting at. You'll be condemned as a hypocrite if you go to this great length to demonstrate that you're believable. Well, see, that's the point we're making today. The point that both Jesus and James would agree is this one. Today's key directive, it says, oath-taking is not for Christians. It's fraught. Boy, there's a word. Fraught. How many of you are fraught with anything today? You say, I'm I'm not really sure. I got stuff all over me. It's like I'm fraught with it. This, This meal that was prepared, I think, is fraught with salt. Well, this oath taking is not for Christians. It, the the process of doing it, is fraught with problems. Now, of course, the fact that both James and Jesus tell us not to do it should be enough for us to avoid it, shouldn't it? 
If God says don't do something, we, we just write it out of our lives, right? We don't ever have to say, why would God not want me to do that? Maybe God doesn't understand the way I do that. Because the way I do that is meeting certain needs and, and, and seems to be pretty wise and smart and tricky and gets the job done. So we'd have to say, generally speaking, just because God says it, there are still people who challenge it or try to work around it. It ought to be enough to make us avoid it if Jesus and James says, do not do this. But really to add just a little fuel to the fire of our resolve this morning, consider with me what I'm calling here today four problems. Four problems inherent. They're just part of this whole process of oath-taking. Now remember, we previously pointed out that oath-taking seeks to use God as a tool for our own end. So here's four things to think about. And they're kind of varied from each other. It's not like one leads to two and two to three and three to four, but just kind of four thoughts regarding people who take oaths. I swear I will never. Number one, oath-taking seeks to use the Almighty to buttress our own credibility. The oath that we make, employing some degree God's name, God's power, God's purposes, God's things, these oaths seem to make us more honest than we are. I mean, that's why we use them. These are people who have in trouble believing us, and so we want to buttress our own credibility, and we link what we're saying with something to do with God to say, well, they'll believe me if I link myself that way, to my faith, to God, to the Bible, to whatever it might be. We'll see some examples in a moment. As we said earlier, this oath-taking is a practice that seeks to increase our level of believability. It's a practice that those who have no proven track record of honesty can employ to try to sell themselves or some idea of theirs. Like, why should I believe you? You know the last time I believed you? You know how that turned out? Yeah, but I, tell, I swear this time. I, I just swear this is different. This is different. Oh, well, if you put it that way, you know, I'll, I'll give it another shot. See, at the heart of it, oath-taking actually contains always an element of dishonesty. It would encourage us to trust the untrustworthy. That's the whole point. Our oath-taking connects, then, the Almighty. However we've linked ourselves to God and God's truth and God's purposes and in the Old Testament days, remember, the people were linking themselves to, to heaven. I swear by heaven itself. I swear by the temple in Jerusalem. I swear by the great city of the king. I swear by this. I swear by that. Try to link themselves to something that's more impressive than they are themselves. 
and hopefully something that finds its way and its credibility all the way back to the Almighty himself. If you're not going to believe me, then you're going to have to fight with him. Because I'm linking this to him. Now, if what I'm linking him to has an element of dishonesty in it, I'm, I'm saying something that goes beyond the actual facts of the case. I'm actually linking God to something that's dishonest. That's a horrible thing to do. Here's the second problem. Oath-taking seeks to use the Almighty to obscure our own fallibility. That means our ability to be wrong, our ability to be weak, our ability to be frail, to be unaware, to not be perfect like God is flawlessly perfect. And and our inability at times might uh, reflect itself, our frailty, as an inability to maintain focus and accuracy. Now, I know this is a focus bunch out in front of me. I look around. George, can you see me? George is working on a brand new set of uh, glasses, and he's had cataract surgery, and he just told me the other day as I called to see how he's doing, he says, well, you know, I hope this is going to work out, the new glasses I get, he says, because I really can't see the expressions on your face when you're up there on the platform. He knows it's me, right, George? I didn't tell him, George, I can't see your face at all from up here. (laughs) Let me know if those things work for you. But see, we have a tendency at times just to lose focus on what we're doing. And when we lose focus, we sometimes get forgetful. And when we get forgetful, we might not be as accurate in what we say as, and that's just part of our frailty. That's part of our own fallibility as human beings. And there are people who, even though they should know that's true, they just push right on. They play fast and loose, we say, with the truth. Well, as I remember it, you told me you were going to pay me $5,000 for that. We say, well, I remember there was a five in it. (laughs) We, or anyone who have a great deal of trouble keeping things straight and can sometimes feel the pressure of where we're talking beyond further than what we absolutely are sure of, but we can't let anybody know that we're not really sure of. And, And so say, I swear... I swear it's true. And we hope it wins the day with them. We hope it's true. But as I remember it, you know, uh, we're, we're fallible. We're weak. But we use this methodology, we use the reliability of the Almighty to hide the fact that we are anything but reliable. We call on God to obscure our fallibilities, to hide, as it were, our ineptitude. 
as we somehow use these oaths, these statements, these strong things that we connect somehow with God, especially when we're dealing with fellow believers who are very impressed with God. If we can just get their minds on him, on the things that are absolutely true, they, that connection might just obscure, kind of cover over the fact that there's something going on in me that isn't exactly true, what I'm saying and how I'm handling things. But we can use our oath, I swear, to kind of cloud the subject a bit and maybe let us get through it without anybody holding us accountable. Third thing, oath-taking. Now, this is where we might use it to help ourselves. Oath-taking seeks to use the Almighty to stifle our own creativity. Now, what do I mean by that? How many of you ever get creative when you're telling a story? You know, the fish got bigger. Where's Dave? Dave? I tell you, for the last five years, you can look on Facebook any given day, and there's Dave with a fish he caught. I think he showed that same one for five years straight. He did catch a big fish, but it was like, hey, today, today, I'm over there again. Fish get bigger, salaries get larger, the situation gets more impressive, the home run went further, and the teller of that tale, the teller of that tale just seems more and more impressive to the people listening, and, and we have a tendency. Some of us have more of a tendency that way. They get reputations as, man, he is a great storyteller. He walk, you walk into a room, and if he's in the room, everybody's around him, and he's telling the story, and everybody's laughing, everybody's enjoying it, and he's enjoying their enjoyment so much that he just keeps adding to it and adding to it. Till pretty soon there was a thousand of them, whatever they are, rather than the ten that were there. But the point of it is he's entertaining them no end. Now, I wouldn't say any preachers are like that. But creativity, see, you can get going. And if you know you're like that, sometimes a person will uh, use this oath-taking to try to stifle their own creativity. They may say, I swear this is true. And they recognize there is one watching over them. They remind themselves that, that God himself they will someday answer to, and that can help them stifle their own tendency to just let it get bigger and bigger and wilder and wilder and, and, and get people's admiration heading their way inappropriately. Oath-taking seeks to use the Almighty to stifle our own creativity at times, our own tendency to invent, to enhance, to impress. But even them, our sinful flesh can remind us that that someday of accountability is way off in the future. And the moment of opportunity to make a splash is right here now. And even though we say, I swear it's true, 
we, we know God's not going to intervene right that moment and say, Mark, it's not. And if it's a good story, we're making a good effect, we're accomplishing certain goals we have, we might get as creative as we ever get, even though in the back of our mind we say, you know, God knows this is not so. But these people don't. So I can achieve my goals. Well, here's the fourth thing. We'll just do this. Oath-taking seeks to use the Almighty to intimidate us into complete honesty. That, that goes along with the third one there. We say to ourselves, he will get me if I lie. Now, my mom believed in that with all her heart. She raised us kids to say, it's like God is right there. My mom didn't know anything about a day of judgment that's way off in the future. Like, you mess up, he's going to nail you. No evaluation after you're 90 years old and you've passed out of this life. It's like, God is watching all the time. There used to be an expression, I haven't heard much any, but how many of you ever heard the expression, he put the fear of God into him? Yeah, well, what is the fear of God? He's going to get you. And it's not talking about hell. It's not talking about way, way off there. You know, I'll, I'll have plenty of time to get right with God, you know, when, when all my fun is over with. No, the fear of God that's put into people is the fear of right this minute. You mess up, he, he will nail you. I swear. I swear it's the truth. See, and so that kind of oath-taking put into a person who's actually believing that the God who is there is a God who acts in the moment and he will get you anytime you, you stray away, that, uh, that oath can help the believer stay on the straight and narrow. And frequently that really works. It depends how susceptible to fear we are. Generally, it works better on the young. That's most of my experience with it, at my mother's hands and father's hands. However, it certainly segues the gospel message in a wrong direction, doesn't it? You see, our gospel is not God's going to get you. Our gospel message is God is in the process of changing you as one who put your faith in Jesus Christ, as one who belongs to the family of God. The gospel isn't, boy, Christ died for you and, and, and you accept his, uh, his death for you. God gives you new life. You become a child of God and, and there is the God who is going to you just can't step out of line. Why would you want to step out of line? But if you do step out of line, you're going to pay for it. That's not our gospel message, really. The gospel message is that Jesus did all those things so that we might be saved from our sins, so that we might be reborn, so that his Holy Spirit can be given to us as a gift and the function of the Holy Spirit is to be changing us little by little into an obedient child of God who loves God 
doesn't fear him, doesn't run from him, who understands that God, God is a father who just desires to see you become everything that he wants you to be. That is the gospel message. That is the ministry of the Holy Spirit. And this kind of oath-keeping, oh, God, help me, you know, lest I put myself in harm's way, that's a different kind of gospel. It's not really a helpful one. And so I'd say here the bottom line is that oaths, for whatever reason we use them, they are frequently tools of deception rather than stimulators of truthfulness. And both Jesus and James would say they are non-Christian. They are non-Christian. Now, I've been talking about oaths, and you've probably been wondering, okay, what are we talking about? And I use the term, I swear this and I swear that. And Here's two. Let's look at them. They're pretty common today. Uh, I mean, they're the most common ones that may be Christians or at least somebody who is connected religiously to God in some way might say. So we'll just look at two of them. First one is, as God is my witness. Now, don't raise your hand. But how many of you have somewhere along the line used that? You're under duress. You're trying to communicate something. And the somebody you're talking to just isn't buying it, isn't believing you for whatever reason. And you try to pull out some extra ammunition and you say, as God is my witness. This is true. What that really means when we say that is God himself will testify to the truth of what I'm saying. God is my witness. Just ask him. He will say, Mark's right. He's witnessing, not that I'm a bum. He's witnessing that what I'm telling you is true. I'm my own witness to that, but you're not buying my witness so much, so I will call in another witness. As God is my witness. This is true. I did this. I will do that. I will abide by this. So it means God himself would testify to the truth of what I say. Now, that suggests... That suggests that God exists to verify and validate me. Isn't it great to have a witness like that handy at all times? Just call on him. Of course, he never shows up, does he? It's, a, it's an attempt to put pressure on the person who's listening to you. Well, if God is his witness, who's going to argue with God? Well, did God show up and say he's right? No, but the fellow's saying, as God is my witness, it's like this is God's job. God verifies that what I do and what I say is truthful. It suggests he exists to verify and validate me, which certainly allows us to say this morning, what a misuse of God's divine authority. Do you really think that's why God exists? 
why God is king of kings, why God is the Lord over all the universe, that he exists so that at any given moment that you need to be validated, he can come in and say, that's true, that's true. That's not the relationship that we are to have with God. And that's not what God's divine authority, how it's used to get us out of every little jam where we're speaking beyond what people will believe and he comes to our rescue and says, it's really true, it's really true. As God is my witness. How about this one? Very familiar, so help me God. This phrase, of course, is the one that's used when witnesses are sworn in to testify in a court case. Frequently, now I'm sure this is changing in some places, but there's probably places for sure it's still true, that as they swear are sworn in, they put their hand on a Bible. And they swear to tell the truth. So help me, God. Do you swear to tell the truth, the whole truth, and nothing but the truth? So help you, God? I do. Left hand on the Bible, right hand raised. I do swear to tell the whole truth. So help me, God. Well, I'll tell you. This week, as I was working on this message and thinking through the implications of some of this, I would have to say I've gained a certain understanding of and maybe even appreciation for those in this world who say something like this. In good conscience, and because of my faith, which prohibits me from swearing such oaths, I cannot make such a statement. You will have to simply take my word for the fact that I will speak truth in this matter to the best of my ability, to recall what has happened. But I cannot swear such a thing. My faith tells me not to do that. My faith tells me to simply declare the fact that I will tell the truth. My yes will be yes. I don't need to add to my yes some divine authority. My Bible tells me, my faith tells me that I should not do that. So it's interesting to think about that. Uh, I was thinking about it this week. You see, the phrase itself means, so help me God. What that phrase really means is, in and of myself, I cannot and would not speak truthfully. So I call upon the Almighty to enable me to do so. And I'd have to say, if it's a Christian who's actually making such a statement, implied such a statement, in and of myself I cannot and would not speak truthfully, so I call upon the Almighty to enable me to do so. What a pitiful personal testimony that is. For a believer to be, to say in and of myself, I cannot and most likely would not tell the truth. 
So I'm going to ask God to enable me to do the thing that in and of myself I would not and actually cannot do. Do you think Jesus would have to say, I'll have to have the Father help me with that? I cannot tell the truth in and of myself. I cannot, I don't even want to tell the truth in and of myself. The one who was called Jesus, the way, the what? The truth and the life. Why should a believer in Jesus Christ, why should one who has the Holy Spirit of God having given new life to him and is accompanying him or her through all the details of life, including this situation, why should such a person have to say, I'll have to ask God specially to help me be truthful? Because I'm not. And I can't be, and I really don't even want to be. See, something's wrong there. Something's wrong there. And so the the scripture says, both of those oaths, as God is my witness, so help me God, both of them really do damage to our faith and to our witness. They either treat God frivolously or they present ourselves embarrassingly. Both of those are unacceptable. And so with that announcement, should be ready for today's final thought, and here it is. James would say, Jesus would say, I would encourage you this way, allow your language, what comes out of your mouth, allow your language to show that you have become, by God's own companioning grace, by the very companion he has sent to be with us, who is shaping us and forming us into the very image of Christ, by that gracious presence of the Spirit within us, show by your language that you have become a truthful, reliable, stable, mature human being. Let your yes be yes. And your no be no, and let them be enough. Our Heavenly Father, this is about as practical as James has given to us. And yet we understand that it addresses sometimes some fears we have. Well, what if people don't believe me? How can I make what I say stronger? How can I impress them in some way? And, and Jesus would say that desire to impress is probably from the evil one. We're not called to impress people. We're called, called to live honestly in front of people. What they do with what we say is their business. But Father, it's so, it's so easy to feel the pressure to try to make ourselves more believable. So, Father, if there's a, an issue with our credibility, guide us by your Spirit to find out, have, have we been untruthful in the past? Have we clouded our stories and realities? Have we uh, augmented things? 
Do we need to make up some ground with people? Do we need to resolve? Do we need to understand what being truthful actually is? But Father, help us all to get to that place, and I praise you for for those who are at that place already, where if they say yes, you can take it to the bank. It means yes. It's an affirmation. It doesn't mean unless something else comes up. It's a yes. It's an affirmation. It's a commitment that this person's communicating. If, if they say no, they, they don't mean unless you sweeten the pot. It means no, I will not be part of this. No, I cannot do that. Father Jesus was like that. That's why people loved him. They loved to listen to him. Just as a human being, they loved to listen to him. In fact, they would say at times, no one ever spoke like he did. Well, of course not. Because he didn't try to impress people with his words. He didn't try to mislead people with his words. He didn't try to overly sell anything. He spoke clearly, honestly, truly, simply. And then he told those listening to him they should do the same. Don't try to hide under high-sounding words, great statements. Don't try to confuse people by those high-sounding words and great statements. Simply let your yes be a yes, let your no be a no, and let everything else you say be just as clear. Father James, years later, was finding within the Church of Jesus Christ, human beings can get caught up in these traps. Father, we can get caught up in these traps. Forgive us. Forgive us when we've spoken in a way that has not clearly communicated what is true. Father, I thank you for the saints of God that we know that that are just true and honest and simple and straightforward and a joy to be around. May all of us be like that. For we ask it now in Jesus' name. We do ask you for help because you're still changing us into that kind of person. But Father, may the day come quickly. May we understand that's the kind of person you want us to be. Truthful, straightforward, not obscuring things, not deceiving people in any way. Because the most important thing we need to talk to them about is about Jesus and about what he has done and who he is and what he's provided. And so we ask that people might find us believable in everything we say so the more important the thing is that we're saying, the more likely it is that they will receive it. And we ask you this now in Jesus' name. We hope this message has inspired you to live the sun life together with us. If you are near Apple Valley, California this weekend, we invite you to join us in person Sunday morning or through our live broadcast. All the details are on our website at sunlifecommunitychurch.com.